Let's talk to God. Gracious Father God, we need your help. Father, we need your spirit. Father, we know that your spirit takes uh, what Jesus said and makes it known to us deep in our hearts and minds. So may your spirit work. Please use me, Father, to speak your word faithfully, boldly, humbly, clearly, and lovingly. And please help us all to hear your word as what it is, the word of the true and living God. Please change us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if Christianity had a marketing department, Jesus would not have been put in charge. Uh, Jesus does a really lousy job of selling Christianity. You know, if you want to get people across the line, you would be upselling Christianity, talking about the good points about being a Christian. And Jesus, on the other hand, does the opposite. He says things like, the world is going to hate you if you belong to me. If you want to follow me, you need to pick up your cross. You need to be willing to suffer for my name. It's not a great way to close a sale, is it? Well, I'm really thankful that Jesus isn't a salesman. Do you know when you meet a salesman who's just a little bit too smooth, a bit dishonest, you can tell when they're just doing something to you. They're offering you something too good to be true. And I think all of us want the real deal. And that's what Jesus is doing with his followers. He's giving us the real deal. He's telling us what we should expect from the normal Christian life. In this life, following Jesus means grief and joy. Being a Christian means trouble and peace. Perhaps today you have come searching, searching for peace Searching for joy in the grief that you're facing? Jesus has something for you to hear today. Perhaps today you are disappointed. The Christian life is not delivering what you were expecting. Well, keep listening to Jesus because he has something to say to you today. Uh, this is what I want to bring out from today's passage. In the grief of a troubled world, find joy in the resurrected Lord Find joy in praying to your Father and find peace in Christ who overcomes. Well, firstly, in the grief of a troubled world, find joy in your resurrected Lord. Look at verse 16. Jesus went on to say, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. In these uh, next few verses, it's clear that there's ongoing confusion amongst the disciples. They're confused about what Jesus means when he talks about a little while. Well, in the first little while, Jesus is speaking about his death on the cross. In just a matter of hours, Jesus is about to be crucified for the sins of the world. And this is when they will see him no more. But the second little while is a few days after Jesus' death, when the disciples will once again see Jesus after he is resurrected from the dead. And this is what Jesus says about his death in verse 20, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. The death of Jesus on the cross has two very different reactions. The disciples will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. Remember the world in John's Gospel is talking about a sinful humanity that is in rebellion against God. 
Think of the blood-curdling cries of the mob in Jerusalem as they cry, crucify him. Think of the Roman guards as they land blow after blow on Jesus and they mock him, hail king of the Jews. This is a world that rejoices at the death of Jesus. But for the disciples, this will mean overwhelming grief as they see their Lord mocked and beaten and stripped and crucified. The disciples will weep and grieve at the death of Jesus. And this is what Jesus has been preparing them for at the start of this discourse back in chapter 13. He knows their hearts will be troubled. He knows that they could easily give in to fear and grief. So Jesus helps them to think about their grief. Verse 21. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of the joy that a child is born into the world. Suffering now, but joy then. This is how Jesus wants his followers to think about their grief. This is what Jesus wants them to see in painting this picture. The grief they are going through is like the pain of childbirth. Grief in following Jesus is expected, but it's worth it. Because the grief will pale into insignificance when you experience the lasting joy. Just as a mother holding her newborn child forgets about the pain of labor and birth. I'm always amazed that women go through childbirth numerous times. I can understand it once. But I think it's because women forget the pain and they think about the joy. And you also will forget the pain and suffering that comes with following Jesus. What is this lasting joy, though? Verse 22, So with you now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. The pain and grief of the disciples will be replaced by the permanent joy of seeing their resurrected Lord. We'll see this later in John's Gospel. When they see Jesus after his resurrection, John 20, verse 20, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And this joy from seeing the resurrected Jesus is not for the disciples alone. The Apostle Peter anchors joy and hope for all believers in the resurrected Jesus. I'm going to read from 1 Peter 1, and as I read, I want you to listen for how the resurrection of Jesus applies to our joy and our grief. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. What I like about the Bible is that it's real about Grief. 
Neither Jesus or Peter are putting their head in the sand. This life is hard. We know by experience, because all of us will suffer or have suffered, all of us will experience grief, and Christians are not immune to suffering and grief. But the difference is what Christians do with that grief. When followers of Jesus are suffering grief, Peter says, they are to find joy in the resurrected Jesus. Because in his resurrection, they have a living hope of their own resurrection. In his resurrection, they have a secure inheritance in heaven that nothing can affect. In his resurrection, they are shielded by faith until the return of Jesus to finish the salvation that he began at the cross. Let me ask you, do you, do you rejoice in the resurrected Christ? You know, if Christianity had a marketing department, the prosperity gospel is what it would come up with. And this is the belief that what God wants for us is to experience his blessings here and now. And these blessings take the form of financial and physical well-being. So if you are prospering in these areas, it is a sign that you are faithful to God, that God is blessing you. And if you're not prospering, there's something you're not doing right. You have a lack of faith or unconfessed sin. Uh, Benny Hinn, for a number of decades, has been one of the main faces of the prosperity gospel, claiming a special anointing from God. Benny Hinn has laid claims to he uh, healing millions of people in his ministry, speaking to a billion people. Kosti Hinn, his nephew, as a young person, was heavily involved in the family ministry. He enjoyed the luxuries of this abundant life, they traveled from country to country on a private jet to do ministry. They ate food prepared by a private chef. They prepared for ministry trips by staying at luxurious resorts. And they lived in a mansion in California. And then Kosti Hin read his Bible. And eventually the cracks grew, which resulted in Kosti Hin rejecting this false gospel that he grew up believing. And Kosti Hin, this year, now a pastor, published a book entitled God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel. Kosti Hin calls this teaching that he once promoted the most hateful and abusive kind of false teaching plaguing the church today, and says all roads the prosperity gospel pave leads to hell. You know, in a church like ours, of course, we, we find the prosperity gospel laughable, you know, we pride ourselves on being thoroughly biblical. But I want you to see that the thinking behind this false gospel is not far from each one of us. You see, the disciples believed in a prosperity gospel. You know, there was no place in their belief for a crucified Messiah. All their hopes were pinned on a political king who would bring physical blessing on their national people of Israel. And the disciples wanted a slice of the action. After all, they had given up businesses, they had given up homes, they're pinning their hopes on Jesus, and they wanted prosperity in return. And that's why they could not comprehend a Christ who would suffer and die. 
Costi Hinz said in an interview, but there is this idea in all of us, somewhere deep within our hearts, that wants to believe that God doesn't want us to suffer and is never going to allow his children to go through a hard time and that if we do good things, that God will only give us good things and that if we suffer, we must have done something wrong and that's in all of us and that's not what the Bible teaches. I think he's right. The message that Jesus preached was suffering now, glory then. Grief now, but joy in the resurrection. And that the heart of the prosperity gospel is this belief, suffering never, glory now. And this belief is not far from each one of us. Even if we don't buy into the prosperity gospel. How do I know that? You know how I know that? The last time that you experienced grief, did you find joy in the resurrection of Jesus? When you experience trouble in your life and the Christian life is not going as you expected, how much do you anchor your joy and your hope in the resurrection of Christ? When a fellow believer shares with you about their anguish, their struggles, their sorrows, when they tell you about their grief, when was the last time you said something like this? I know what you're going through is so hard, but isn't it wonderful to know the joy and the hope of the resurrection? I've been challenged this week because I don't do that enough. I don't do that enough in my own grief, and I don't do that enough with your grief. Do you rejoice in the resurrected Christ? Secondly, in the grief of a troubled world, find joy in praying to your Father. Not only will the disciples find joy in their resurrected Lord, but they will find joy in a new relationship with God their Father. Verse 23. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. And Jesus here is speaking of a new order of relationship with God after his resurrection. The relationship of the disciples with God will take on an entirely new depth. The disciples will understand Jesus in a way that they did not before. The things that Jesus said to them, the things that seemed confusing and hard to understand, will become clear after the resurrection. Jesus will speak plainly. And we also saw last week in John 16 that when the disciples received the Holy Spirit, the Spirit will take what Jesus said and will make it known to the disciples. And one of the things that the disciples will understand is how wonderful their relationship with God will be. God the Father, to whom Jesus is showing the way, will not only be the Father that Jesus has a deeply personal relationship with, but through Jesus, the disciples will be able to relate to God in a deeply personal way. 
Jesus says that they will be able to pray to their father directly. No longer will they have to ask Jesus and then Jesus ask God on their behalf. But in the name of Jesus, they will be able to speak to their father in heaven. Verse 26, in that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Jesus has already told the disciples in a previous chapter that he no longer calls them servants but friends. And not only are they friends, but the disciples are loved by the Father himself in believing and loving Jesus. The disciples have been welcomed into fellowship with God the Father. All the way back in chapter 1, John said that those who believe in the name of Jesus have the right to become children of God. The disciples enjoy an intimacy with God their Father. They've been included in the inner circle. And this is a privilege not for the disciples alone, but for all of us who believe in Jesus. And Jesus says that the great privilege of being a child of God is approaching your heavenly Father in prayer. Your Father who loves you. Your Father who delights in answering your prayers. This is not the first time Jesus has spoken about this. John 14, verse 13, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. To pray in Jesus' name is to recognize that we approach God not on any other basis, not in anyone else's name, but only on the basis of Jesus and his death and resurrection. We are not self-confident when we approach God in prayer. We are Christ-confident. And because of this confidence in our great high priest, who intercedes on our behalf, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence to find mercy and grace in our time of need. To pray in Jesus' name is also to pray in line with the will of Jesus. Prayers that seek the glory of God the Father and God the Son. These are the prayers that Jesus invites us to pray. These are the prayers that complete our joy. These are the prayers that Jesus says God will answer with a yes. But the Apostle James says there is a type of prayer that is a wrong kind of prayer. A prayer that will not be answered. James 4 verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask God. But when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. What does it look like not to pray in Jesus' name? It is to pray with wrong motives, not for the glory of God, but for our own selfish pleasure. And God sees through this kind of prayer. This is the type of prayer that receives no from God. But notice in verse 2, James says, you do not have because you do not ask God. Let me ask you, do you pray to your father? 
I find in my own life, and I find that when I talk with Christians, particularly when they are going through trials, one of the things that seems to go missing in those trials is prayer. I'll hear much about grief, about pain, about anger, but then very little about whether these griefs have been brought to God in prayer. I see that in my own life, I I think for a number of reasons. Maybe I think that my griefs are too trivial for God to deal with, that I could sort them out on my own. Maybe subconsciously I don't think that God will answer my prayers or that he won't answer them exactly the way I want him to answer them. Or maybe I'm not happy with God and how he's allowing me to be in the situation I'm in. So why should I pray to him when I'm upset with him? I wonder if you can relate to these reasons and maybe there's more. I'm too busy to pray. I'm too ashamed to pray. Remember what Jesus said, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. If Jesus is right, then by implication when we don't pray, we miss out on joy. The joy of a father who hears and answers his children. We miss out on the simple joy of being a child who brings their requests to a father who loves his children. We miss out on the joy of seeing our Father hear and answer our prayers because he delights in giving good gifts to his children. Now note, our Father doesn't always give us exactly what we want because he knows us better than we know ourselves. Our Father doesn't always give us the timing of answered prayer that we want, again, because our Father knows best for us. But our Heavenly Father wants us to pray to him. When Deborah Goddard was a young cash-strapped mum in the 1980s, she went to a car boot sale in Middlesex, and she noticed what she thought was a costume costume jewellery ring. She bought it for £10, just under 20 Australian dollars. And 30 years later, a jeweller noticed the ring and encouraged her to have it valued. It turns out that the ring held a 26-carat diamond that was cut in the 19th century, and last year the ring was sold by Sotheby's for $1.3 million. In all those years, Deborah Goddard lived in public housing, never realising the incredible wealth she had at her fingertips. When you live the Christian life, but neglect the privilege of prayer to your heavenly Father, it is like treating a million-dollar diamond like a cheap trinket. We are wealthy beyond imagination. The God who made the universe with his words is the Father who loves us and wants to hear our words to him. The father who wants his children to ask him for anything in his son's name. And when we fail to pray, we do so at our own loss, especially when we face grief and trouble. What a friend we have in Jesus. 
all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Thirdly, in the grief of a troubled world, find peace in the one who overcomes. In verses 29 and 30, it seems like after all this time of teaching, the disciples finally understand who Jesus is. They claim to understand his divine authority, but clearly they're still lacking. And Jesus knows it. The future that they have in mind for themselves and for Jesus has no place for a cross in it. Jesus knows it. Their lack of trust in him will be shown in their actions. Verse 32, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each of you, to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. And Jesus' prophecy is correct. The disciples will abandon Jesus. When the shepherd is struck down, the sheep will scatter. Their lack of faith will soon show. And Jesus will walk to the cross alone. Correction? Jesus will not walk alone because his Father God will be with him right to the very end. The Son will do the will of the Father by opening the way to the Father and the Father will be with the Son every step of the way. But not the disciples. And who could blame Jesus for being upset with them? Yet in this whole discourse, Jesus has been caring for them seeking to comfort them and write to the very end in his final words to them before he prays for them. Jesus once again comforts them. Verse 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The disciples will face immense trouble and grief. There will be hardship. They'll be hated by the world that hates Jesus. But amidst this trouble, they will have peace in Christ. A peace they will not find in a troubled world. In fact, Jesus has overcome the world. And what Jesus is saying is that the forces that are actively in the world will not prevail. Sin, Satan, evil, death, none of these powers will have the final word over Jesus. The cross of Christ the empty tomb will show that Jesus will secure victory for those who trust in him. Jesus has overcome the world. In John's Gospel, when the disciples see the resurrected Jesus, Jesus says repeatedly, peace be with you. And this peace is not just an inner peace. It is peace brought about by reconciling sinful people to a holy God through the cross. It is peace with God for all eternity. It is peace that speaks of forgiveness of sins. It is peace demonstrated by the resurrection of Jesus. It is peace that is guaranteed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. This peace means that we can call God our Father. And this peace cannot come any other way except by remaining in Christ. It is only Jesus who overcomes the world. In this life, 
followers of Christ will suffer all kinds of grief. But as they suffer, they find joy. They find real peace in Jesus as those standing in the eye of a storm. Let me ask you, where do you find your peace? Jesus has said very clearly, in me you may have peace. I have overcome the world. Do you find peace in Christ's death and resurrection? Do you find peace in the promises of Jesus? Do you find peace in Christ's gift of his spirit to you? If not, where else are you looking for that peace? I don't know if you experience this, but when you decorate your Christmas tree every year, do you notice that some decorations shouldn't go on some branches? Because some decorations are just too heavy and some branches are just too thin. And if you hang heavy weights on thin branches, well, the branches just sag and break. And that's true in life too, isn't it? We're often tempted to hang the heaviest weights on the thinnest branches. One of the heaviest weights in life is peace. Peace in any situation and every situation. Wouldn't that be nice to have? Wouldn't it be amazing to have that peace? And the Bible speaks of that peace. What branch are you going to hang peace on? Mindfulness? Are you going to hang peace on having happy and successful children? Are you going to hang your peace on being fit and healthy? Are you going to hang your peace on the hope of marriage? Are you going to hang your peace on financial security? And you see, any of these branches, they're just too thin, aren't they? You will find that if you hang peace on any of these branches, that branch will snap. Hang your peace on the broad shoulders of Jesus. He is strong enough to carry you through any trial. He will give you the peace that you so desperately long for. And when you meet people and you can see that restlessness in them, that longing for joy and for peace, where will you point them? Point them to Christ. To the, uh, to the one who has overcome the world. In the grief of a troubled world, find joy in your resurrected Lord. Find joy in praying to your Father and find peace in Christ who overcomes. Let me pray for us. Gracious Father God, we thank you. Thank you that Jesus is so real with us. He knows that we suffer grief and trouble of all kinds. Gracious Father, we do find at times that the life of following Jesus is not what we expected. So we thank you for these promises that speak of lasting joy. Thank you for Jesus and his resurrection. Thank you that we can cry out to you, our Heavenly Father, and that you will listen and you will answer. And thank you for the peace that surpasses all understanding that you will guard our hearts and minds with.
when we turn to Jesus. Please, Father, help us to turn to Jesus in every and in any and every situation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.